You're listening to audio from Century Baptist Church. To connect with us, visit centurybaptist.org or download the Century Baptist Church app. Father, uh, this morning we give you praise for what today represents. Uh, It's your day to do whatever it is that you want to do in us and through us. And so, Father, in these next few moments, make us very aware of the truth of your word, of your presence, and the power of your spirit at work in us. In your name, amen. You could have a seat. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm learning a little bit about our culture nowadays. Uh, I, I, uh, I've never been given so much grief over my shoes uh, on a Sunday morning as I have today, right? Uh, I, I, I don't know what the deal is. I thought that if you would get something new, people would be like, oh, very nice. You're not wearing your grubby old dirty shoes. That's a good thing, right? But then on Friday, I went and I visited uh, my, my daughter's school and, um, and she, she was on the worship team, and so she was up front. And I, I sat, leaned over to my wife, and I'm like, what is she wearing? And she had on, uh, it was one of my sweatshirts, my student council sweatshirt that I was given when I was in college. And, and, uh, and like, where in the world did she find that? And then she came down, and she was chatting with me, and it's got holes all over in it, and the neck is all tattered. And I was like, what are you wearing? And her friends are like, do you have any more that's so cool? And... <laughs> And they're like, we, we're always looking for vintage stuff. <laughs> I've been called a lot of things. Vintage I didn't think was one of them. But here I am. Just a little old man, ready to preach. <laughs> All right. Um, John chapter 12 is where we're at today. I'm a little shocked to people. We're not in Matthew we're going to pause from the book of Matthew uh, for a couple of weeks as we just focus on this Passion Week, today being a Palm Sunday, as we begin, really, hopefully, this can, can begin to really focus us in on what this week is all about, uh, helping us to understand, that even to a greater measure, this incredible love that God has for us and sending us Christ to, to, to save us from ourselves, from our sin. Uh, and to to write the relationship that we have with God when we when we talk about Palm Sunday, uh, obviously there's a lot of focus on on this thought of this huge crowd and and the palm branches that are waving and they're cheering and there's an excitement in the air and and I don't know when I read these narratives, I I, I somewhat kind of put myself like, what would it have been like to be there that day and seeing Jesus ride into town on the back of that. Donkey, And one of the things that gets overlooked is we rightly should celebrate Palm Sunday as we're reminded to, to, to recognize Christ as King, that He is the Savior, that He is the Messiah, that He came into Jerusalem on that day in preparation for the end of His life here on earth, to lay His life down on the cross for each and every one of us. And, um, but the thing that, that we often miss is that in the midst of all the cheering and the hosannas that were going up from that crowd, the majority of the people that day still didn't quite understand fully what they were cheering about, fully what it is that they were saying when they were crying out, save us. They had a, a bit of, as I like to, to call it, a, a broken hosanna, a little misguided at times. Jesus knows this. We, we won't get into this particular text today, but, but we're told as we read through all four Gospels as they, as they give a perspective on this, uh, this passage, that Jesus pauses as he's coming down the Mount of Olives and there's the crowd coming out to him and they're cheering and crying out, save us, Hosanna. They're throwing their coats on the ground and waving the palm branches. And it says that Jesus, as he made his way through the crowd begins to, to weep. Uh, the original language says that he, that he sobbed painfully. And the reason for that is he follows it up with, was if you only knew who it was that has come to you today. In other words, you're, you're celebrating me as, as a king You're crying out to me to save you, but you don't quite get it. 
if you really understood what it was going to take for you to, to receive this salvation, for you to be free from oppression, if only their Hosanna was broken. Here's how John explains what took place uh, on that day. Let's stand together. John chapter 12, uh, verses uh, 12 through, through 19. Um, as I said, you can find uh, a, a different perspective on what is taking place in Matthew 21, in Mark 11, in Luke 19. But we're just going to stick to John and we'll pull in from the other writers as well today. It says, the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him. And they were crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, or after his resurrection, then they remembered that these things had, had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet Jesus was that they had heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. You can have a seat. As we prepare this morning to spend some focused time on uh, the communion, and the bread and the cup, and to remember what Jesus uh, has done. I just want to unpack this text for a little bit uh, to really set the stage for us to to pause and to remember. We we um, we always have a Good Friday service, Easter service. Obviously, this Friday we're doing something a little bit different. It's tough for us as Baptists, right? But we're going to change it up a little bit. And this Friday, we actually going to be ministered to on Good Friday by our by our elementary students. They're going to put on a musical, uh, The Parable of the Good Samaritan, with a gospel message. It would be great for you to bring friends to. Um, but, but the thing that's going to be different a little bit is that we're, we won't be having a communion service on Good Friday. Today we're having communion, and we just want to make it a, a real focused time. And so, so as we walk through this text, let's also just be in preparation. God, show us what you want us to know uh, about who you are, what it is that you've done and, and just ask him to, uh, to bring our focus to exactly where he wants it to be. Historians claim uh, that at, at the time of Jesus, the city of Jerusalem uh, had about thirty to 50,000 residents on a daily basis. Okay, not that big of, of a city. However, historians also say that during time of, of Passover, when it was required for uh, the Jewish people to come to the holy city, that, that, that the city, at one point, Josephus says, was close to two million people. Imagine that, right? Two million people coming upon a town of, of 30,000. That means the crowd is crazy packed. So you can imagine the crowd that was out that day on the road uh, to, uh, to welcome Jesus into town. Now, John tells us that the reason that they went out the reason that they went out was because he had just raised Lazarus from the dead. And then Jesus had spent uh, time there with Lazarus and his sisters at their home in Bethany, up over the hill of the Mount of Olives. And Jesus comes over the Mount of Olives and he's coming down into the city of Jerusalem and people had heard that he was coming. But John says that, that the reason that they went out is because the rumors had been going out that, that this man had had raised somebody from the dead. And so they all wanted to go out, whether it was to see him, to, to kind of a, have a celebrity sighting. Many of them truly believed this. If he can do this, because we're also told in, by Luke in his narrative on this text that, uh, that they said he's done so many great signs, we want to see really what he's going to do next. And so they all went out. To see Jesus, the crowd would have been huge that day. What can't he do? If, 
If he can raise people from the dead, and if, if, if these are people who bear witness to all these other signs, he must be the promised Messiah. He must be the one that, that God has told us to look for. He's going to save us. Save us from the oppression that we have of this evil Roman government that is over us. Save us from the weight of this religion that we seem to be put under. We need a Savior. So Hosanna, save us. There may have been uncertainty, but at the same time we see in the crowd a great hope. That Jesus just might be the one that could save them. And so I look at, at, at that Hosanna that they're crying out, and I just want to take a few different perspectives of maybe the different people that are in the crowd that day and what they meant when they were crying out. First of all, for some, it would have been a desperate plea. We need your help because this life is hard. Hosanna was a, was a Jewish really a praise. It was at the same time a cry for freedom. It was a cry for salvation from the troubles of this world that they were faced with. And, and when you would cry it out, it was understood there was a deep underlying faith that when you spoke it, it was going to happen. It was a cry from the heart. The people of Israel were living under some pretty heavy oppression with the Roman rule in charge. The Romans were ruling over a lot of nations. Their, their plan was really global dominance, and they were going to do it with what was known as Pax Romana, the Roman peace, that we'll, we'll be the government, we'll give you everything that you need, you just don't cause any trouble for us. You just sit back and trust us. They, the Romans uh, had a, a belief that their emperor was God, so as they took over the nation of Israel, they still allowed the people to, to worship uh, the one true God as long as it didn't interfere with what they were trying to do. As long as there were no uprisings, as long as, then, then you can continue to worship the God that, that you want to. But it was under this cloud, this heavy-handedness of the Roman rule. Cross us and we'll crush you was kind of the understanding. So everybody was always looking over their shoulder. Wanting to make sure that they were doing the right thing. The Pharisees were, we've been talking about them a lot in our study of Matthew, were kind of this, this go-between, between making sure that the people were fulfilling their religious duties as good Jews, and at the same time making sure that, they don't, that the people don't cause trouble with the, the government. And so they kind of played a little bit of both sides. People wanted out from this. Allegiance to Rome obviously was seen as idolatry with their kings seen as God. So we can imagine the weight that would be on the shoulders of people during this time. <clears throat> but this was the history of a Jewish people always seeming to be under this heavy weight. Their identity, we know, is wrapped up in what took place in, uh, in uh, Exodus. Moses going in, being sent by God to rescue God's people from slavery in Egypt. Slaves to their, to their enemies. The people didn't want to go back to that. In Exodus, we find a people that are oppressed, really just going through the motions, living life with no hope, and then all of a sudden, a rescue from God. Through the blood of the Passover lamb, the death of a firstborn son that gave them their freedom, and finally the Pharaoh said, leave us. And they gained a new identity as God's people who are saved and rescued. And here, fast forward hundreds of years later, and the people are still crying for the same thing. We need somebody to come and to free us from this oppression. We think it's you. So here they are. On the 10th day of Nisan is when this is taking place. It's the first day of, of Passover celebration there in Jerusalem. And, and, and it was a tradition 
on any of really the holy days, the, the festivals, the feasts that God had told His people to recognize, uh, that it became a tradition that they, would, that they would sing as they would go into Jerusalem, they would sing Psalm 118. This song of praise and a cry out to the Lord. And so as they would go into this holy city, it was known as a song of ascent. As they would ascend up that holy mountain and going up to the temple to spend time with God, they would sing, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh, give thanks to Him, because He's good and His love endures forever. And then Psalm 118 goes on, talks about God's enemies being given over to destruction. That God is strong. That His light shines upon His people. And, and people would sing this loudly with great joy as they went up. But as the song would, get, would go on, they would, they would get to these parts where their voices would get louder. Because what they were singing was more exciting uh, for themselves. And as they got to the temple, they would get to verse 24. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And as the choir would reach verse 25 of Psalm 118, people would, would grab branches, Feast of Tabernacles especially, branches that they used as a covering over their booths, and they would, they would wave them around and they would, they would just cheer as the choir would sing uh, this verse, Hosanna, save us, we pray, Lord, and give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then on a daily basis, that, that verse would actually be the greeting that people would use when they were leaving Jerusalem, having been in the holy city, and they were going back home, and maybe some new travelers were coming into the city. And the greeting would be, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What the people miss is verse 22 of that song. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Another prophecy that was given that, that when the Messiah comes, he, he won't be recognized fully for who he is. But blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that's exactly what, what the people are singing and shouting out to Jesus as he's riding into the city. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Save us. Hosanna. Not understanding that, that their hosannas were a little misguided, that were broken. They weren't going to see him truly for who he was. That Jesus would pause in the middle of this and, and weep over their misunderstanding and rejecting him as that chief cornerstone, this was a desperate plea that people had for peace and for hope. Could you be the one that could save us from all of this? For some, it was also a victory chant. Here comes our king. And, and there's always been this belief, and as we read through the Old Testament, people believe that that when the Messiah came, that, that he was going to, because it's a promise, that he is going to free people from oppression. That he's going to defeat the enemy. They didn't see it from spiritual eyes, but, but from the physical, looking at the world. He's going to defeat any of our enemies that rise up against us. And we know that we're going to get to reign with him in his kingdom forever. So save us and, and give us prosperity. Let us... Let's, let us reign with you. The interesting thing about the cry of the people was, was that they added. The one thing that, that the psalm doesn't say is, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. They were making a proclamation. We, we've seen you raise people from the dead. We've seen you do incredible things. We've heard your teaching. There is a rumor going around that you just might be the one. You might be the king of Israel. So blessed are you. But come and destroy our enemies. 
Many believe that, that he was the, the promised king. In their minds, he, he was not just coming to defeat their enemies, but to give them success, to give them more, to give them blessing. Out with the Romans and the power structure. It'll all be flipped on his head. It's time now for us to rule. We now get to reign with you as our king. I love the way that John pieces this together because we know that, that Jesus is, when he, when he comes into the city and the crowd comes up, they find him riding on a donkey. John places this after the people have been crying it out, but not to say that, that Jesus then went and got on the donkey. I think John is saying, see how they missed it? They're crying out, save us. Be this warrior king that we've been waiting for. And, and John says, just as it is written, this prophecy from Zechariah 9, fear not, daughter of Zion, your king is coming and sitting on a donkey's colt. There's a lot of deep meaning behind that. During times of war, or if you're proclaiming a war as a king, you would get on your uh, big, strong, trusty horse and ride out of a city with your army or into a city to take captivity. But you were declaring something. If you were a king on a horse, it's time to go to war. If you were riding on a donkey, that means that this is now a time of peace. The great thing that people didn't understand that Jesus was coming in and, and honestly he was coming in declaring a war but that he was going to do it peacefully. He was going to conquer something so much bigger than, than the Roman Empire. He was going to conquer the kingdom of hell but he was going to do it on his own and he was going to do it peacefully. By laying down his life. If, if those that were crying out, those that saw him coming on a donkey would only pause and, and say, well, that he's coming on a donkey. Zechariah talks about that. What else does Zechariah talk about? If, if you've ever studied Zechariah, I would love to know your take on it because it's bizarre. right? It's a great book, a prophecy, uh, prophecies about what God was going to do with his people, but it's all about Zechariah going to sleep and he has all these dreams mashed together and they're weird, you know, like he ate a cheeseburger before he went to bed. Like, oh, what is going on? But he came out and God shows him really what, what it is that, that he had seen. And Zechariah talks a lot about, starts out, his first dream are these, these warriors on horseback coming in and wiping out the enemy. And it, it just continues through and it talks about God's people and God says, if you just continue to stay true to my covenant, I'm going to do great things for you. And you get to chapter 9 and it's about the Messiah that's going to come. And it's kind of this shift, but he'll be coming on, on the, the colt of a donkey. It doesn't really sound like a warrior, but this is how God says... Victory will be won. This is how peace is going to be established. And God says toward the end of Zechariah, I'll, I will cut off the armies of the enemy. And what I want you to do is to trust me and to stay true to me. Palm branches had become a symbol of victory for the people in Israel. What started, as I explained, from the Feast of Tabernacles is they were they make booths out of branches, the leafy branches, God's protection and his care. When they would celebrate, they would wave these branches during the Feast of Tabernacles, remembering God's victory as he gave them freedom out of Egypt. Time passed. Solomon, remembering this, has Palm branches carved into the walls of the temple that he builds. They became such a symbol of, of victory and hope for the people that the Romans, when they minted coins for uh, the people, actually put palm branches on it to actually mock 
God's people. So you, you think you're getting victory? It's, it's not going to happen. We're the ones that give you victory. Don't think very highly of yourself. So you can understand the picture of Jesus riding in and the people want their enemies destroyed and they're already claiming victory over the Romans because here's our king. So save us. It was almost a demand. And they waved their symbols of power and of victory with true assurance. They wanted the destruction of an empire. They wanted their enemies to pay the price. So save us was really, it truly was a, a rally cry for blood. And blood would be shed, but not because of war, but because of peace. And it wouldn't be the blood of the enemies, it would be the blood of the hero and the king. What it comes down to is I have to believe that there were a few in that crowd that truly understood it. We don't know. But they believed, wanted to believe so badly that Jesus truly was this Messiah that was promised. Over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament of what would take place so that they would know the Messiah. God made it so abundantly clear and yet they were so blind to it. I have to believe that, that really what Hosanna needs to be is a humble cry of surrender. <clears throat> John says the disciples, even the guys that hung out with Jesus on a regular basis, saw the crowd and what they were cheering for and saw Jesus coming in and their coats being thrown on and palm branches being waved. Jesus stopping and weeping and even the Pharisees stopping Jesus say, you, you, need, to, you need to tell all of these people to be quiet. Why? Because if, if they hear this inside the city, if all of a sudden the, the powers that be hear all of this commotion, we're all in trouble. Because they're going to see this as an incredible threat. We're all going to get scolded for this one. So tell your people they need to be quiet. And I love Jesus' response. He said, well, I could. But even if they would all be quiet, even the rocks would cry out. In other words... This is happening. God's in charge of all of this. And no matter what happens, people are going to know that I am the Savior of the world, whether the crowd cheers for it or not. But the people are relatively blind to it. The religious leaders are dumbfounded by all that's going on. And Jesus' heart breaks. If only you would know today. That true peace is given to you, he says. True peace. They missed it. What I'm encouraged by, what's so great, one of the billion things that are great about God is, is that he was going to fulfill his purpose no matter what people did. He was going to even use confusion, even disobedience of people to fulfill his plan. It's a reminder to me that God doesn't need me to accomplish his will. He chooses to use us. We put ourselves in his hands and God use me. But we can't think that we're bigger than him. But God gets his work done. Because, <clears throat> excuse me, if I was Jesus and, and I was rejected by the same people that I had come to save, I would have turned that colt around and gone right back up over that hill and, and almost said, you know what, for me, this isn't worth it. They don't care. They don't see me for who I, I really am. When I was in like third or fourth grade, uh, mom needed to get me out of the house, and so I had, I had to play summer uh, baseball. It wasn't travel baseball. It was like this was whatever you're wearing, just wear it. It's fine. You know, we just we gathered at the Clem Kelly softball diamonds, and the first day of, 
uh, of baseball. Went there. I didn't know a soul. I didn't go to school with any of these kids. And we sat up in the, in the, on the bleachers, and these coaches come out, and they said the worst thing that any coach could ever say to a child. We're going to pick teams, right? Like anybody else that way? Like let's pick teams where you just go, I'm out, right? That was me because nobody knew me and kids are calling out. They pick captains. They're calling out names. Name, nobody knows my name. So guess who's the last one in the bleachers, right? And, and, and everybody's kind of looking at each other like, well, who wants, who, anybody know this guy? Anybody want this guy? Like you, there's nothing that, where he makes you feel more small, right, than, than not being wanted. I think I went to maybe like two games and played and I just was done. They don't want me. They don't need me. They don't care about me. And I think if, if I was Jesus, that's exactly, I would be like, you know what, I'm out. You guys don't deserve me. And I know how you're going to treat me. I know what's about to happen this week. I came. I left the glory of heaven for you. And you don't, you don't even care truly as to why I came. You don't see the deeper need that you have. Your government is not your problem. That's not the thing that you should be worried about. It's your separation from the God who said, be my people. Stay true to me. And you've disobeyed. What you should be worried about is an eternity in hell. And I'm coming to rescue you from that. And the people didn't see it. But Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords, even honored the broken cry and willingly laid down his life on that cross to rescue all of us from oppression of sin, the weight of sin, the fear of this world. And he conquered it all, then not just on the cross, but, but through the resurrection. He died for a world that rejects him so that we could have true peace. Ephesians 2.13 says, Now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. And I know that, that we, all, we all need that right now, don't we? I wonder today, how many of my cries to the Lord is save me, save us, are actually broken hosannas. They're misguided. Uh, I, I thought about that this week as we watched the horror unfold in Nashville uh, and the evil that took place that day, the lives that were lost. That just continues to happen. More shootings, more lives lost. And throughout the week, this week, just in cities and tornadoes that have just wiped out families and homes and cities, and, and then all of the all of the garbage that comes along with it. Whose fault it is? How it could have been prevented? Just creating more and more tension, and we just want peace. And the cry, my cry, my broken Hosanna has been, God, get me out of here. Right? Jesus, just come and, and first of all, wipe out all of my enemies, everybody that goes against you, and take me out of here because I'm done with this place. I'm done with these people. I don't want to have anything to do with it anymore. But, but I'll tell you, the reason that that's a broken Hosanna is because what I'm doing is I'm putting my focus on what's happening in the world. And I'm letting that control my mind and my heart, my emotions, how I look at people. But, but when I have a correct perspective, and when I look at the world through the cross, through the empty tomb, when I see Jesus for who he truly is, the one that can actually bring true salvation, and along with it comes joy and peace and hope, 
I can live. The way that he wants me to live here in this world, because he's not done yet. There are more people that need to be saved. Romans 12, 12 says, so rejoice in hope. Rejoice in what you believe is going to happen. Don't get worn down by what you're seeing happen. Don't get frustrated and angry and check out of this world because what you see happening. Rejoice in the hope that salvation has come and is going to come. Be patient in the middle of trials and struggles and be constant in prayer. Jesus is not looking for a crowd that is roaring. He does not need to have his ego fed. He knows who he is. What he wants is for us to know who he is. To have him in our lives. To recognize him as the rescuer, the redeemer, freeing us from the punishment of sin. We're told in Isaiah 66 that the ones that God looks upon, in other words, the one that God truly favors are those that are humble, repentant, and tremble at his word. For those that recognize that we're not in charge, but he is. And he is going to do what he promises that he will do. That, that, we, that we, though, would, would get on our knees and we would say, God, whatever part I've played in the mess of this world in my life, I am sorry. Forgive me for it. Jesus, be my king and be my Lord. Save all of us. Save this world. From, from the lostness that it's in and the struggle and the pain and the shame and the guilt and how vile this culture has become. And I know you will because, because I tremble at your word. Your word is truth and I hold it high and I will live into it every day. But it starts with being humble. In other words, a broken heart before God. It's not this cry of save us and let us rule with you. It's save us and I'm sorry for trying to rule over you. Lord, save us should be our humble cry. A broken Hosanna that starts with, God, I'm sorry for, for living a life that's been passionately pursuing the things of this world, things that are only going to fulfill me. And that go directly against what your word has to say. And so forgive me and take my life. It's yours. You can have it. It's also a humble cry. Of, you know what, God? Sorry for me trying to take the, your work into my hands and tell this world how they're supposed to live when I can't even get it figured out myself. But thank you for your grace and your mercy and how you do choose to use me. So I'll humble myself. And I will say, God, save me from myself each and every day, so that I can be a tool that's used by you to proclaim the goodness of my God. Let's pray. Father, today, just as we, as we unpack this text, God, I, I see myself so often in, in all three of these different perspectives of, of a cry to you. There's often, God, where I want stuff for me, and God, there's times when I want you to do stuff to other people. And once in a while, God, as I'm feeling this way, you show me in your word such truths that humble me. To be reminded that I didn't, I didn't deserve you. That, that I don't deserve Jesus to lay his life down for me. But he did. God, would you help us to live lives that truly live into our Hosanna. Save us. We give you praise for it. Amen. If you uh, didn't receive elements for communion, they're uh, in the back if you want to go and collect from uh, ushers. As we celebrate communion here at Century, it's, it's an open communion. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, 
you understand that your sins have been forgiven, that your life has been redeemed, and then this is for you because that's what Jesus said. It's a time for us to remember what it is that he did for us on that cross. So if you don't know Jesus, then you can't remember. So I would say today, just out of observance and being in the presence of believers, that, that you would just take it in and ask, well, why haven't I made that decision? Well, why haven't I allowed Jesus to actually be king over my life, Lord over my life? Palm Sunday is really a name that's been given to this day, but we also recognize it as something else. It was actually commanded by God as he was telling people on how to celebrate Passover. And he said, on the 10th day of Nisan, I, I want you as a family to choose for yourself a, a spotless lamb that will be sacrificed for the sins of your family. And so the people were also all commanded to go to Jerusalem and, and, and these sheep would be led to slaughter at the temple mountain. Thousands upon thousands of Innocent lambs, spotless lambs that were shed, their blood poured out year after year after year. But on that 10th day of Nisan, God said, I want that to be the day that you as a family, that you go into the holy city and you choose for yourself your spotless lamb, your perfect lamb that will lay down its life for your sins. It was not a coincidence. It was by the hand of God way back in the book of Exodus as he commands people to do it so that they would know on that day when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem to give up his life for people that they would see him and no mistake whatsoever to say, that is my lamb. That's the one that will give up his life for me. In the middle of the week, Jesus gets his disciples together and he shares in this last supper with them and uh, they celebrate the Passover meal. Tradition, year after year after year, is symbolic of what God did to free the people out of slavery. And Jesus now kind of turns the tables. He changes the focus of the meal. He said, you no longer have to, have to go through all of this routine to remember what God did because now something there's a new meal. A new meal that you as believers, I want you to share in when you gather together. I want you to break bread and I want you to share in the cup because this is about freedom from slavery to sin. And it's not about the, the Passover lamb that, whose blood was shed and spread over the doorpost so the angel of death would pass by. Jesus says, now it's my blood. And it's no longer year after year after year. It's once and for all. What I'm going to do on that cross is going to take care of your sins for the rest of your life and give, give you an eternity with the Father. So Jesus says to his disciples, he takes the bread and he breaks it. And he says, this is my body that's broken for you. And every time that you eat it, I want you to remember what it is that I've done for you. That my body would be broken. That I would go to that cross. That I would be the one to take the punishment of sin upon myself so that you don't have to. This is how I will save you. And when we... When we eat the bread and we drink the cup, it, as Jesus said, it's, it's just a time of remembrance. We need, we need to be brought back to this, right? The, re, the refocus. Nothing supernatural happens in our bodies when we eat. This is bread. And it's a little bit of juice in a cup. But it's about what it represents. That's what it was for Jesus, too. This bread is my body that's been broken for you. When you eat it, Really, it's eat it out of gratitude to remember what I've done for you. Let's eat together. Scripture says that Jesus, just like he did with the bread, he took the cup, explaining to his disciples, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. My blood now takes care of, of your sin your punishment forever. It's wiped clean. Again, no longer the routine of, 
of having to do this on a regular basis. This is once and for all. That's the power of the blood of Jesus. The power of his death. And him giving himself up for us. That we could be freed of the penalty of sin. Not only that, but we're also freed from having to sin. We're given the power to walk away from it, to run away from it. We're given the desire to follow Christ and no longer a desire to passionately pursue sin. That's how powerful the blood of Christ is. But it was shed for us. We honor it. We, we recognize it by making him Lord and truly following after him each and every day for what it is that he's done for us. The blood of Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Isn't that amazing? The first time that we see Jesus as an adult really come on the scene is when John is baptizing at the river and Jesus is a face in the crowd and John sees him and the, the first statement that's made about Jesus in front of this huge crowd is, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. His blood shed for us to give us life. Let's drink it and remember him. And all God's people said, Amen. stars that reach me from distant galaxies the oceans they are speaking magnificent so deep but still the greatest wonder my soul has ever seen is the Lamb of God on Calvary Behold the Son of God who takes away our sin behold his perfect sacrifice behold the wounds of grace upon his hands and feet oh the lamb of god on calvary
forget that this week ends in victory. We look forward to celebrating with you next Sunday. We're kicking off April. A lot of things happening. Snacks for students. Food pantry drive is out in the foyer. Also, if you want a sneak peek at our budget proposal for the next uh, year, that's on the table. There'll be a couple elders out there if you have any questions. Our annual meeting is coming up on the 30th of April, so keep that in mind. We'll eat together and have our meal together. If you'd like to uh, contribute to the Benevolent Fund offering, which is what we do at the end of our service of communion, uh, please write that on the envelope or on your check and designate that for the Benevolent Fund. Have a wonderful, glorious week, church. You are dismissed. Go in his grace and his peace, and see you next week.